With the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem, welcome back to Jetavanaram Buddhist Monastery. We've been on this new series for some time now. So long it no longer qualifies to be referred to as a new series. But the real test of whether these talks have had any effect on your lives is the answer to one simple question. What one question might that be? Oh, let me remind you, the title of this series is The Buddha's Guide to Happiness. So, what one question might that be? The answer to which should be self-explanatory as to whether these talks have had a lasting impact on your lives and if the time that you have spent, or should I say invested, in these talks have been fruitful, rewarding. Of course, are you a happier person than when you began? I don't know the answer to that question, clearly. But it is a question that is important to ask, nevertheless. Although I don't know the answer to that question, I value the answer to that question. I want you to ask this question of yourselves. And I want you to ask yourselves if the answer to that question is no, then should you continue listening to these talks any longer? If you still feel that perhaps maybe I will get what I'm looking for a bit further down the line, then perhaps there are a few and maybe even subtle changes that need to be made in the way you approach these talks. I remind this point because, as I often like to make it known on these talks, that the purpose of these discussions, although on occasions may seem academic, nothing could be further from the truth. This is not a study for the sake of a study. This is not an exploration or a discovery for the sake of it. We are not on this path so that once we have traversed it, we can all claim to have discovered the path or put a badge on our collars to say that we have finally accomplished something. The only outcome I expect from both delivering these talks and you joining them is for you and I to be happier persons at the end of this endeavor. 
I aim to give you happiness, or at least to teach you, share with you, the path to happiness. And as an avid believer of what you give is what you get, I expect to be happier by the end of this. And not just any old happy, ultimate happy. Or ultimate happiness. And I expect the same for you. But if the answer to that is yes, then you are very fortunate. Because it must be that you have come to realize something. That you have begun to understand life, existence, living through a whole new lens, an entirely new dimension. Is it so fundamentally different to what we previously used to believe was true about life? Well, as a matter of fact, yes. And now you should begin to feel that way, hopefully. Because you know now that the things that you chased after, the pursuits of life, prior to you listening to these talks, would have been very different to what they are today. You'll agree, I hope, that life was merely the pursuit of pleasure previously. Pleasure in any which way or form. However it comes, as long as it comes, I'm good. Might have been your outlook on life. And in the name of pleasure, many a thing would have been done. Mostly good, but perhaps even on occasions bad and even downright evil. But in the name of pleasure, anything was acceptable. But today, you are a different being altogether. Because you understand that pleasure is simply a farce. Hopefully you have begun to fall out of love with pleasure. You have begun to see pleasure in a new light. That it is not a blessing but a curse. A hidden curse. This does not mean doom and gloom for everyone. What this simply means is a new beginning, a new awakening, an opportunity to see life in a new light, and an opportunity to actually bring to ourselves the things that we came into this world, into this life, looking for. Tell me, your purpose in life hasn't changed, has it? The only thing that would have changed, hopefully, is the way you approach it. You began looking for happiness. You began life looking for happiness. You began 
this year looking for happiness. You began your last birthday looking for happiness. You began today looking for happiness. That never changed. Listening to these talks shouldn't have changed you. Certainly not in that way. You're still looking for happiness. But today your definition of happiness may be different. Today you understand that there's a difference between true happiness, untainted, untarnished happiness, and this pleasure which was wailed in ignorance and sold to us as happiness. We were fooled. But today you realize that happiness is one and pleasure is something else altogether. This is not merely the difference between two words in the English language. Beyond the meanings of these words must resound within you the message of the Buddha the message that I try to convey to you as I have learned from my teachers if we came into this world looking for happiness then we should leave having found it it would be a shame a real loss and a pity to have spent an entire lifetime, what, 50, 60, 70, maybe even 80 or 90 years for some people. Lifetime. Having spent a lifetime, if we have not found what we came looking for, what would you have to say about that particular endeavor? A meaningless one, a useless one, a fruitless one, an essenceless one, wouldn't you say? Just take a moment to think about the kind of lives that people live. I don't look upon them in disdain. I'm simply saying, if we were to take an analytical view, a subjective or rather an objective view, take a clinical view at people's lives, most people's lives. We can only look upon them with sympathy. And this is not me getting on my moral high horse. Please don't get me wrong. I do look upon them with sympathy just as my teachers once did with me. Whether we like to admit it or not, there is a problem looming. We're all living in one. A frog that is born in the deep trenches. Whether it likes to admit or not, is in one. It might not know it, but makes no difference. in just the same way, whether we like to admit it or not, and whether we know it 
or not makes no difference to reality. Taking a moment to look around you, you will see how much people actually struggle to achieve a lasting happiness in their lives. You know this because you've been one of them, just as I once was. From dawn to dusk, morning to night, from bed to bed. Day by day, spending our precious lives trying to achieve something, hoping that the next thing that we come across, the next person that we meet, the next thing that we eat, the next book that we read, the next thing that we see, the next song that we hear. We'll just do it for us. And just we keep on going. We just keep on going. Forever hopeful, but forever hopeless. A man having lived 70, 80, 90 years of life dies unhappy, unfulfilled, thinking to himself, oh, I wish I could have done this, that and the other. Why, if you ask him, sir, do you think that those things would have been good additions to your life? He would then simply say, those were the things that were left undone. Had I done them, I would have been able to die a happy man. Begs the question, doesn't it? Well, then what about all the, everything else you did? Didn't you do them thinking that they were going to make you happy? Yes, I did. So then why these few things you think of now would have made the difference. I don't know. I just remain hopeful. Hopelessly hopeful. Hopelessly hopeful. I can't think of anything more ironical than being hopelessly hopeful. Again, I repeat, this is not a mockery this is not to look down upon anyone or anyone's way of life. This is not me passing judgment on how anyone might have lived their lives. But this is only because I do care. I'm not bound by any law or jurisdiction or a duty to do what I'm doing right now. I know there's a need for it, and therefore I do it. I know there's a need for the Buddha's Dhamma throughout the world and across the globe. I know there are people out there who are looking for refuge, who are looking for a way out, who are looking for solace. And in their arsenal of possible 
vents to relieve themselves. They don't see, as we discussed last week, the choice of freedom. There are choices, ample of them, an abundance of them. So many that it's about time people stopped fighting for them and actually started making some. But it's all about choices. Take away one choice and all hell will break loose. Because today the fight is for the number of choices. Because, well, people should have the freedom of choice. They care very little about the choice of freedom. So, a lifetime lived. Having done so many things, having tried out so many things, having experienced so many things. And yet in the end, unfulfilled. What do you have to say about that kind of life? The problem is, you know, it's coming, isn't it? This is the truth. We don't like to think about it, but it makes no difference. I don't mean to say that death is the problem here, because death is not the problem. The problem is an unsuccessful life before the event of death. That's the problem. An unfulfilled life. Because, you know, I'm not here to try and stop death coming your way. I don't even try. Why try something that can never be achieved? My effort is not to try and stop death coming your way. I can't even stop it for myself, let alone you. But I can help you feel confident. I can help you die at ease, die happy. But that happiness is not because of death. That happiness is because when that moment comes, you can be content, truly content, not content just because it's the right thing to say. When someone asks you, have you achieved everything you want in your life? Oh, yes. Oh, my God, yes. I'm so content. Because that's the right thing to say, isn't it? No, not because of that. Matters not what you say, it matters how you feel about what you say. Does your conscience agree? On the inside, you can't deny it. You can't deny because you know what you're going through. What does your conscience say about you? I want you to be able to have lived a successful life. And a successful life does not mean you need to have accumulated anything, really. Of course, everyone knows that success means different things to different people. But I don't entirely agree with that. 
Because when you say success means different things to different people, you're just looking at the issue superficially. Why is it that people define success differently? Because underneath, everyone's after the same thing. It's just on the surface. For some, it's wealth. For others, it's beauty. For others, it's fame. For others, it's respect and glory. For others, it's property. See? For others, it's friends. And for others, family. For others, a successful career. Different things, yes. But that's only at the superficial layer. Dig deeper. Ask them the question, why is it that this is how you define your success? And they'll tell you, it's what makes me happy. That's the problem. There's something that makes you happy. Are you willing to agree that that's a problem? Are you? Are you willing to agree that if there's something that makes you happy, there's a problem there? Most people won't. Because most people's definition of happiness is it's what things that you like bring you. It's what people that you like bring you. Things, people, events that you like bring you happiness is their definition of happiness. But you know better now. They are none the wiser so they could be forgiven. But I can't say the same for you. Because now you know better. You know with liking, aka attachment, you only get fear and grief out of that. Happiness is not something that any object or person or event can bring you and just dump on you. It is not something you can export or import. It is made wholly on the inside. And it's also destroyed wholly on the inside. Other people have nothing to do with it. It comes from within. But people don't know this. And therefore, their definition of happiness has something to do with external entities. That could be a person, it could be an event, it could be something that they have longed for. And so they say, this makes me happy, that makes me happy. Now just think about it. Go back to your childhood days. Weren't you taught to appreciate some things because they make you happy? As a kid growing up, toys and the likes. No, we're not blaming our parents or our elders. They did what they thought was right. Because it is what their parents, their elders did with them. 
This is the thing. One generation after the other, this ignorance keeps passing down. Until someone is able to come and bang their heads together and say, open your eyes and have a good look at what you've been doing all along. These things won't make sense until then. But right from our childhood, we were indoctrinated. We were taught, I emphasize this, we were taught that happiness comes from the things that we were given, the, thing, the things that we were taught to strive for. And therefore, we just blindly followed orders. We blindly followed orders and just strove for them. We just went for them. Jumping over any and every hurdle that was put in our way. Seeing obstacles as challenges as we were taught to do. And we just kept on fighting for them. Fighting for happiness. I mean, come on, that sentence can't make sense, can it? How should you have to fight for happiness? Why should you have to compete for happiness? If happiness for one means misery for another, how can that be happiness? If your victory means a defeat for somebody else, what kind of victory is that? If what you give is what you get, then when you've given defeat to others, how is it that your victory can truly be a victory? The truth is, the moment you achieve that so-called, within air quotes, victory, now you have also inherited two things, fear and the potential for grief. One who wins is always fearful that his victory may be stolen from him. He's always on the lookout because someone's always around the corner waiting to snatch it back. So, how can someone who wins be someone who's happy? In the fight for victory, most of the time you end up losing. And if your expectation was victory, which is of course why you fought for it, then now you're left in grief. What you were after was victory, now you're left with grief. What you were after was happiness, and now you're left with misery. See, either way, you haven't won really, have you? In any competition, victory and defeat are synonyms. It just takes a wise man to see it that way. That's why in the Buddha's teachings, he does not guide his disciples towards victory or defeat. 
It is neither victory nor defeat we are after. It is simply to understand that there is nothing worth competing for. That does not mean we end up lazy good-for-nothings who just while away the hours until death comes and knocks on our door. Oh no! True victory is in understanding, comprehending and realizing that there is nothing worth fighting for. You see, the thing is, once you've achieved that victory, that's a victory that cannot be taken away from you. Don't you think so? You can fight for first place and it's yours to keep. Oh no. It's yours until someone comes and snatches it away from you. Meaning it's not yours. Because if it were yours, then no one would be able to take it from you. Of course, defeat is not something someone can usually stomach. Therefore, when in defeat, they keep on striving, keep on struggling, sometimes twice, three times, maybe a hundred times harder, faster, and more fierce than the last time. So even more effort. For what? For this so-called victory. They don't stop to have a look at those who have won. Those who, have, those who claim to have come out first and become victorious, they forget that when they become victorious, there will be those just like them who will be fighting, who won't let go, who will relentlessly strive to take that away from them. But that they forget. They forget that there are people just like them. All oh, the irony of that. How can someone be so blind? You understand my point, don't you? He who has lost forgets that what he's fighting for now so that he could possibly win next time is going to be fought for just like he's fighting this time round. And you see, when one person wins, there are a hundred more who are fighting for it. So once you want something, now you have to protect it from a hundred people, maybe a thousand people, maybe ten thousand or hundreds of thousands, perhaps eight billion. Just take a simple example from life. Flip those pages of that book you call life and you will find plenty of them. Only back then you didn't see it this way. Back then you thought that was the norm.
Remember when you saw that girl for the first time and you had a crush? And you wanted to have her for yourself? Until that point you were a free soul. Like a free bird roaming around. You could look at every girl the same way. And everyone was friends. But now you have a special friend. When you have a special friend, only that friend can now be your special friend. Other friends can no longer be your special friends. Because now you need to impress that person. Show that you have extra care for them. Extra bit of attention for them. Show that you are willing to go the extra mile for them. Up until then, you could do that freely and happily for all. And enjoy the satisfaction that you got from it. But you can no longer do that. Because to impress that person, you have to show that they get something extra from you that others don't. See, in the pursuit of happiness, didn't you lose the thing that you were going after? Keep flipping those pages and on each page you will find something similar to that. If it's not a girl, it's a job. If it's not a job, it's a car. If it's not a car, it's a house or some property. or a title, or a position, whatever. In the end, having lived a long life, you take that book of life, and you flip those through those pages, and all you'll see is losses. And victories, but there'll be losses dressed up as victories. Nothing gained. Because you didn't know what you were going after. You thought you were going after it, but it wasn't there. Like running after a mirage. Looks like it's there, but it ain't there. All that's left after the end of that exercise is sweat, effort, and simply a, a broken dream, a shattered dream. You have the toil, you have the labor, you have the pain, the aches, and the sweat that you broke to show for it but no victory. Everything you earn, everything you acquire, of course there's one day when you have to leave all of that behind. Is it not prudent to just stop and think to yourself, fighting so hard for these things just so that one day I can leave them behind? Is there a blooming point to it? Excuse my French. I mean, seriously. You know, some people, they work their socks off 
trying to become someone, to get something, to achieve something so that they may be referred to as someone, they may be called by a particular title. You know, they're going to leave all that behind. At the gate, you've got to drop everything. You came in naked, you're going to have to leave naked. Not even a thread to cover your nudity. Do we need to even talk about your titles, your land, your property, wealth, or even health? all that left behind. But, you know, people are just so blind, so, so blind, that they forget to live. In their pursuit of happiness, they forget that life is just there to be happy. It's like a case of be happy or die trying. In the end, they just die trying. Because they forget the simple truth that it's only when you stop trying you are happy. You know, here's this one thing that to get it, you gotta stop trying to get it. There is so much depth in these words that I want to share it all with you right now, but it's going to take some time. This is one thing in this world. To get it, all you got to do is stop trying to get it. Everything else, you're going to have to try. Because everything else is a worldly pursuit. In a worldly pursuit, you have to keep on trying because it's not just you, someone else is after it as well. So it seems obvious that you're just going to have to keep on trying. But there is one thing in this world, just one thing. No two things, just one thing. To get it, all you got to do is stop trying so hard. That is bliss. You can't be happy if you try to be. Doesn't even sound right, does it? You can't be happy if you try to be happy. Anyone who tries to be happy is not happy. Why are they trying? You have to ask the question, shouldn't you? You see someone trying to be happy. Why are they trying? Well, because they're happy. I mean, who would try to be happy if they were happy? See, if you're trying for something, then the current state of affairs is the opposite of that. Is that not true? If you're unhealthy, you could try to be healthy. If you are poor, you could try to be rich. If you are lacking in knowledge, you could try to be knowledgeable. You can strive for it. But if you're happy, 
And you can't try to be happy. Only a sad person tries to be happy. So, look around you. What do you see? People who are happy or people who are trying to be happy? Anyone who's trying to be happy is not a happy person. Because it's not something you can get by trying. That's why Buddhist philosophy is all about realization. It's nothing to try. It's just to see things as they are. Nothing to try. Nothing to go get. Nothing to venture. It's just to see things as they are. To see that happiness is with you and within you. Now stop going after it. Stop chasing it. Stop it. And you are there. If these words make sense to you, then, you know, you're either super intelligent or you've been following this series or a bit of both. Most people, these words will just sound like madness. What are you going on about, Bhante? Happiness is with you, it is within you. That which you go after is only pleasure. But now you know the truth about pleasure. Remember what we drew on the whiteboard the other day and I explained to you the makings of pleasure. You know, it's an artificial thing, you've got to make it. The mind is a factory. For pleasure. It has to make it. Constantly it has to make it. How can that be happiness? As I said, a happy man does not try to be happy. So if the mind is constantly trying to produce, trying to manufacture happiness, what does that say about the mind? It's completely lost the plot. That's why I need you to understand. I want and I wish for you to understand this truth. This is a simple truth. It's not complicated. Oh no. If it were, I wouldn't have got it. I promise you. It's a simple truth. The only thing is it's a little bit subtle. It's not difficult. It's subtle. It's like threading a needle. It's not difficult. You don't need to get yourself a degree on threading needles to do that. As I say, it's not rocket science. It's threading a needle. It's not difficult, but it is subtle. You need some precision. You need accuracy. You need laser-sharp focus. You need to be steady. You can't thread a needle jumping up and down. You can't thread a needle running around like a headless chicken. You need to settle down. You need to relax. You need to stop. You need to focus. 
You need to take a deep breath. You need to look, not everywhere, look at one thing, one place. I'm not talking about focus your mind on one thing. This is not single-pointedness. I'm talking about look at the truth. Look at the problem and you shall see the answer. People don't see answers because they don't look at the problem. It's like a ball of thread. A tangled ball of thread is only a problem until you see how and where it's tangled. The moment you see that, it's no longer a problem. Life is just like that. The moment you see the problem, you have seen the answer. So really, there aren't such things as problems. There are answers, two types of them. One, the ones you've seen. The other, the ones you haven't seen. That's it. They're both answers. But when someone hasn't seen the answer, they wish to prefer, they prefer to call it a problem. That is the problem. People live their lives destitute. Because they can't stop what they're doing. But they have no alternative. Because they are none the wiser. They can't do with it and they can't do without it. It's a very difficult situation they've gotten themselves into. See, today you understand the makings of pleasure and you have fallen out of love with it. But think about someone who does not understand this. Their minds constantly seeking pleasure. Is there any point to it? No. Because the pursuit of pleasure is the very source of unhappiness. Stop chasing pleasure and you shall be happy. But they don't understand this. So therefore they just keep on chasing pleasure. The very thing that makes them unhappy. The best analogy I can think of is like, when you are thirsty, the last thing you ought to do if you are out at sea is what? Drink seawater, right? It seems like the obvious answer, but is it? Every sip you take is only going to make you more thirsty. So that's the last thing you need to do. That's the last thing you ought to do. But someone who's ignorant does not see this, does not realize this. So what do they do? They just keep on drinking. And every sip they take is another step towards disaster. The same goes for a beast in the middle of a desert. Having seen what it believes is an oasis far away. But of course you and I know this is only a mirage. 
runs after it, runs for it, runs in that direction. It runs because it's thirsty. It runs because it needs a drop of water. It runs because it's tired. It needs to take a rest, take shelter, take a drink of water and take shelter, rest, lay down. And therefore it runs. But the more it runs, what happens? The thirstier it gets. And the thirstier it gets, what does it do? The faster it tries to run. And the faster it tries to run, what happens? The thirstier it gets. The thirstier it gets, what does it try and do? The faster it tries to run. The very thing that it does to get to the water is the thing that makes it need the water more and more. All that running is not going to get it any closer to the water. What it does really is it exasperates any amount of water that is left in its body it sweats out and is lost. So the very thing it tries to do to be rehydrated is the thing that makes it dehydrated. Hopelessly hopeful, right? I need you to understand the profoundness behind those words. That's why I share these analogies with you. I want you to put yourself in these situations. Of course, I know you've never run into desert. And I know you've never been out to sea and in your thirst taken a sip of seawater. But these are similes, or rather, these are metaphors. I want you to put yourself in such situations. Go back into those situations in life and ask yourself, weren't you like the gazelle, the metaphorical gazelle, the vast desert that was thirsty and then started running to what it thought was an oasis, but only a mirage that it was? Weren't you the metaphorical man lost at sea or the sailor lost at sea, shipwrecked, floating on a plank of wood and in his thirst thought to himself, oh, there's plenty of water, I needn't worry about being thirsty. 
I'm in the middle of the ocean. Look, there's plenty of water. Think about it. If some man were to wanted to set out to sea, hmm, and he was packing all the things that he thought was necessary for the journey, and if he were to think to himself, hey, the last thing I need to pack is surely water. I mean, I'm setting out to see. If someone were to think like that, what do you make out of him? A wise man or a foolish man? Would you be willing to sail with him? Now think to yourself, look through these lenses and ask yourself the question, the things that you've done in your life, the vast majority of them, have they not been similar? A craving arose in the mind, which in itself was the vexation or the creator of vexation, that was the source of your vexation. The very thought, the very idea that such thing would make you happy. That very thought made you thirsty, made you hungry for it. And then to quench that thirst and to sate that hunger, you went after it. The going after it is what made you even more thirsty and even more hungry. With every step you took, the thirstier you got and the hungrier you got. And so you kept on going. Year after year, day after day, And in the end, you got it. You achieved it. And when you achieved it, you thought, woohoo, I got what I want, now I'm happy. But did you really get it? Did you really get what you wanted it for? Remember, it's not the things that you go after that you really need. It's the happiness that you think it bring you. And that's why each person goes after different things. It's not the things that make them happy. It is, or rather, it's not the things that they want. It's the happiness that they think that they will bring them, they want. But unfortunately, none of them bring, the, bring them happiness. All that is left after the end of that journey is the toiling, the sweat that broken, the effort, the energy that has been spent, the wounds, the cost, the damage done, all that. You may have achieved the object of your pursuit, but not the purpose of your pursuit. Do you see the difference? 
The purpose of your pursuit was of course happiness. It has always been that. The object of your pursuit would have been different day by day, year to year. The things you wanted as a kid are not the things you want today. The things you want today will not be the things you want tomorrow. But the purpose of your pursuit would have remained unchanged. And it's because you have not achieved that purpose, you keep on going after objects in the hope that they shall give you what you seek. If they did at least once, would you be going after a second? Why do people go for seconds? They go for seconds when the first didn't do it for them, right? Why does a man get married, then divorced and get married again? It's because the first marriage didn't do it for them. When do they learn a lesson? I'm not mocking again, neither am I ridiculing anyone or any person or any choices that they have made in their life. I'm just inviting you to open your eyes and look deep down at your own lives and ask yourself some questions because I want you to be able to be responsible for what happens to your life. And I want you to be able to make some good, well thought through choices. No man should die without the freedom of choice. But the most important choice of all is the choice of freedom. Ask yourself if the things you have done, all in the name of freedom, all in the name of freedom from pursuing things day after day, have actually helped you achieve what you were going after. That's why I say, please try and understand the distinction between the object of your pursuit and the purpose of your pursuit. The objects change, like the weather, but the purpose has always remained unchanged. The fact that different objects are pursued day after day is evidence enough, is it not, that the purpose of the pursuit has not been achieved as yet. This is why, as I said earlier, the philosophy of the Buddha is to understand, to comprehend that there is nothing that is worth pursuing. When you realize that, you begin to understand that the happiness that you pursued all this time was always right by your side. It's there to be taken, not to be run after. It's there. Look and you shall find it. Look and you shall see. 
It's there. It's just right there. Stop looking out in the field. Stop looking yonder. Because it's there. It's just right there. Sometimes some things are so obvious. that people become blind to them. It's a shame, it's a pity, I think, certainly, for a human being who is capable of understanding these words, if they were to come across them. To live a long life and to not have come across these words. By these words, I don't mean why words, I mean the Buddha's teaching. Because he taught the Dhamma to human beings, primarily. Human beings who have the capacity to understand, to realize his teachings. They were his primary subjects. And to them he taught. So every human being, each and every one of the 8 billion people, or was it now, 8.5 billion people, are capable, they have the capacity to understand these words. But they have to come across them first. Not everyone has the ability to realize them on their own. Very few and far between do you find someone who is capable of self-awareness or self-awakening even. Those are the Buddhas. But with the help of a Buddha, his guidance, his teaching, his instruction, Anyone with some intellect, some intelligence, a tad bit of wisdom is able to understand these words. I know you are, otherwise you wouldn't have hung around this long. You've been with us right from the beginning of this series. You've been trying to do the things that I've asked you to do. Listening to them, contemplating, applying them in the lab of life trying things out, considering new ideas that may be contrary to ones that you have held close to your heart. But you have remained open and willing to consider. Therefore, of course, you have the capacity to understand these words. But you must admit and agree that there are a lot more people just like you who if presented the choice or if presented the opportunity would be able to do the same. They're waiting for you. They're waiting for your invitation. They're waiting for your call. They're waiting for your knock.
help other people. Help as many people get what they want. Or rather, actually, help as many people get what they really need. And you shall get what you need. What people want may be something very different to what they really need. Of course, as we discussed a moment ago. That man out at sea, foolish man. The foolish man thinks he wants water and he thinks there's plenty of it around me so I can have it whenever I want. He doesn't know that that's not what he needs. He doesn't know that he needs to be out of the water as soon as possible. That he doesn't know. But that's what he needs. So help as many people get what they need and you shall get what you need. Help as many people achieve the purpose of their pursuit. Which may be very different to the object of their pursuit. You do understand the difference now, don't you? You may have helped your friends, colleagues, family. You might have done so much to help people get what, get the object of their pursuits. But now you understand that the object was simply a superficial item that was there to represent the purpose of their pursuit. Now you know the purpose of their pursuit. Help them truly achieve that purpose. And there's only one way you can do that. To help them realize that what they're going after, what they're running after, is there just where they are. It's just there. For that they need your help. So before your mother, your father, your brother and your sister, or perhaps your grandparents, maybe your spouse, or perhaps your children, your loved ones, your friends and family. Help them. Help them achieve the, pur the purpose of their pursuits. That is true happiness. Because once they achieve that, they'll no longer need your help to achieve the objects of their pursuits because such pursuits will cease. True happiness does not need to be achieved twice. But fake happiness, that is pleasure, is a lifelong pursuit. Achieving it once does not mean you, can no, you no longer need it to go after it. Do you need me to give you examples of this or is it not obvious from your life itself? Can you count on the two hands that you have, on your ten fingers, the things that you went after in the name of pleasure and is that enough? Has it ever been enough? Will it ever be enough? 
Ask a person lying on their deathbed, have you achieved enough? And as I said, they'll give you a few more things they wish they had done. A few more things that they wish they'd done because they believe that it's those things that were left undone that would have helped them achieve a fulfilled life. In other words, the pleasure that they've been after. How blind, how blind can one be? But hey, until and unless you come across a noble friend, no one's able to show this. No one's able to help you realize this. No one's able to realize it on their own. That is why you have a duty. Your love and compassion is essential for mankind. Consider it not a luxury, but rather a necessity. Because your love and compassion is a necessity for humankind. You need to show your love and compassion. No, not by giving them a hug and an embrace or a kiss on the forehead. That's not what I mean. I mean by showing them, by offering them, by guiding them to achieve the purpose of their pursuits. If you can do that, you become a great person. Your life becomes one. That is worth having lived. I wish and pray that you may be able to do that for as many people as you possibly can. Be a messenger of the Buddha's Dhamma. Take this message out to others. Share it among others. Help people achieve the pursuits of their happiness. Sorry. Help people achieve the purpose of their pursuit. Help as many people achieve what they need and you shall achieve what you need. I'll leave you with that for today. Before we conclude, let us take a moment to thank the very people who've helped us come this far and to help us get where we are today. I'm just saying, do what others did unto you, to others. You're here today. You're able to listen to this talk because someone was there to help you, to guide you here. Maybe shared a link with you. Maybe gave an invitation. That's why you're here. So now, do the same. Pass it on. But only if you can answer the question I asked you right at the beginning of this talk. Remember that question? Has this have these talks been successful? Have they been of value to you? Have they been worth your while? Has the investment paid off? How do you know? 
Are you a happier person? If the answer is no, then ignore all of this. But if the answer is yes, well, then I don't think I need to tell you what you need to do now. And I'll leave you with that for today. Let us take a moment to transfer the merits that we have all acquired. By making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, chanting Pirit, listening to the Dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching. And with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasikas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Zipitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us transfer the merits we have all acquired to all members of the Mahasangha, present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the Noble Path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us also transfer these merits to our teachers and to all those and, all, and to all the monks resident at this monastery, as well as the Anagarikas and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these talks, sharing them out with others, or inviting others to join them. May, to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the warful plane, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane, and may, to the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, to those of you who passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well wishes. And may to the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer this merits to our mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who have helped, supported and assisted us in any way, shape or form. And by the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transmit to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, and primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sambhutasana. Let us transfer these merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may through the power of these merits they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us, to all those who have been friends and family and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in Sansara, and to all those who have helped, supported and assisted us in every way, shape or form they could. Let us also transfer these merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nations. And may all those who have lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, Rejoice in the merits that we have acquired today. Let us also transmit to all those who have lost their lives in natural calamities such as tsunamis, earthquakes, landslides and pandemics, including the most recent and prevailing one. 
reminding us that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey in samsara. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to them. And may to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, let us all resolve that may to the power and blessings of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day. We be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahants on this blessed land, and may to the power of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, you and I, and everyone who's helped make this program a success, become an Arahatun Vahanse, an Arahatarun in Vahanse, in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautam Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And on that note, we shall conclude for today. Looking forward to speaking to you next week. And the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all.